Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Jill Harper, Vice Chair of Communications on the CIA's Research Council. In this podcast, we will be discussing the Canadian Segregated Funds Product Experience Study, which was jointly sponsored by the CIA, LIMRA, and the SOA. This is an exciting study because it's the first industry study of policyholder behavior and mortality experience for Canadian Segregated Fund products. If you'd like to take a look at the study, it's available on the CIA website. Go to www.cia-ica.ca and navigate to the Research tab at the top and select Research Projects. On the line today, we have Marianne Purashotham. Marianne is the Corporate Vice President of LIMRA, and she's also one of the authors of this paper. Welcome, Marianne. It's good to have you here. Thanks, Jill. It's great to talk to you. Let's start with a little bit of background. Can you tell us a bit about where the idea for this project came from? Sure. So the SOA and LIMRA have been doing studies in the U.S. of variable annuity products with GWB designs, guaranteed withdrawal benefit designs. Um, And we've been doing those studies since 2011. So the studies in the U.S. have been examining surrender and lapse activity, withdrawal activity, and utilization of the GWB benefits. At the same time, or around the period 2011 to 2013, we had heard from some Canadian companies that they were looking to the U.S. experience for guidance on setting assumptions for the Canadian segregated funds products that had similar guaranteed withdrawal benefits. So a discussion began between the Society of Actuaries, LIMRA, and the Canadian Institute of Actuaries about doing a study of the Canadian market that was very similar to the structure of the studies done in the U.S. So why did these organizations feel that it was so important to do a project focused on Canadian products? We were at the point where, or and, and the companies felt like agreed that we were at the point where the Canadian products with these GWB benefits had sort of reached a point where there was enough credible data at an industry level to start trying to look at the actual experience in Canada. And so the companies that we were talking to were, were really eager to have an industry benchmark that was specific to Canadian policies. And, you know, as with all experience studies, there's sort of an optimal time to start reviewing data at the industry level. It seemed like that was a good starting point if we wanted to have some good trending history on the Canadian products because we had enough data to start putting out results, even though a lot of the contracts or most of the contracts with the GWB benefits are still in the first, say, seven or eight policy years, we still had enough information that we could actually start putting out results and have sort of a benchmark starting point. And then with a plan to go forward and, and update the studies over time so that we could see how things were trending. So you mentioned data. I know data is often a, a big challenge in research projects. What were the challenges that you encountered doing a study like this? So the, I've been involved with working on uh, experience studies either in a consulting role or as a volunteer with the Society of Actuaries for more than 25 years. And this is probably the most complex project that I've worked on in that area. We only had six participating companies, which actually is probably one of the reasons we were able to get the report out because the process really involved a very significant amount of time to understand the consistencies and inconsistencies in how companies administer these products. 
and making sure that we could create consistency across all the companies in order to combine their data for an industry study was really a tremendous effort. And it was, it was a tremendous effort on the part of everyone involved from the members of the committee, some of whom did not participate in the study as a company because either they didn't have the business or they didn't have the resources to pull the data together, but also on the part of the companies themselves, the participating companies themselves spent a huge amount of time working with LIMRA on understanding their data, validating that data, making edits to that data, and finally pulling it all together into an industry data set that we could actually use to analyze results and put out a report. I think the whole group involved is very proud of being able to get to the finish line with this, but at the same time, we're all exhausted. So we need to, um, we're, we're looking at next steps now after we've put out this first report. So after all that hard work, what were your key findings in the study? Okay, so the primary areas that we focused on, and, and actually we went a little bit further than what we report in the U.S. for the Canadian study. So in the U.S., we report on what we call policyholder behavior factors. So we look at benefit utilization, withdrawal activity in general, and surrender activity. And in Canada, we actually decided that since we had the data and we had put in this major effort to do validation, that we would add a component on mortality. So there is a section of the report that looks at mortality experience for these products in Canada. So some of the key findings from the study, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll talk about it in three pieces, the surrenders, the withdrawals, and then the mortality results. So for surrenders, one of the first key findings, I would say, is that contracts that have the GWB type of benefit do have materially lower rates of full surrender than those without. And this is consistent with what we see for products, uh, variable annuity products with these types of GWB guarantees in the U.S. Most of the contracts with GWB are still in the initial surrender charge period for Canada with most of the exposure being in policy years one through eight for purposes of this study. So surrender rates are between, for those policy years, are between around five and a half to just under 10% for contracts without a GWB benefit. And surrender rates are between one and 4% for contracts with the GWB. So again, this is similar to what we see for the VA contracts in the US in terms of those with and without. But again, it's, it's a confirmation that these products with GWBs do have significantly lower rates of surrender. Also with surrenders, we found that they tend to be more frequent at younger ages, which is again, consistent with US experience. And surrenders tend to be greater across all policy years for the Canadian contracts that have not taken any withdrawals than for those that have taken some type of withdrawal, whether it's under a scheduled or non-scheduled approach. So those were probably the top findings in terms of surrenders, although I would say the report has a lot more detail. For withdrawals, we found that overall withdrawal rates are lower for contracts without GWB than those with GWB. Now, this is just for the experience period of the study. And this is largely driven, so we want to make sure, this is a point that we want to make sure readers of the report keep in mind, that 
when we're looking at withdrawal rates for without GWB, those are including contracts that are much older and have been enforced for much longer and tend to have more contract holders at the older ages where you'd expect higher rates of withdrawal. So the GWB contracts themselves have been around in general for much less time. And so the withdrawal rates are lower and they tend to be at ages younger than what we would expect to have a lot of contracts taking withdrawals yet. So at first it's counterintuitive, but when you think about the age of the business and the fact that the GWB business is so much younger, it, it kind of makes sense. And then I would say for both contracts with and without GWB, we see the withdrawal rates steadily increasing by the attained age of the contract owner. And again, that's very similar to what we see in the United States with VA contracts. And along those same lines that we looked at average withdrawal amounts for those who are taking withdrawals, how much are they tending to pull out of their contract on a yearly basis? For the years of the study that we looked at, which was again 2008 to 2013, we're seeing average amounts withdrawn of between 5,000 and say up to 25,000 in a given year which again is in line with what we see for similar types of product designs that are offered in the United States. One final thing on the withdrawal activity. One of the things that we like to look at with withdrawals is also for contracts that have a GWB, we like to look at when the contract owner or is pulling out money, are they doing it above or below the contractual benefit maximum? So each of these contracts has a benefit maximum that's set and associated with the GWB. And the contract owner is often penalized for taking out amounts above that contractual benefit max. So we like to look at people that are taking withdrawals that have GWB contracts, what percentage are withdrawing within that contract maximum and which are going above on a consistent basis. So for Canada, we see that for ages that are 65 and older, around 80% of the withdrawals were either taken at a level below or very close to the benefit maximum. And we found that at younger ages, the withdrawals tend to be significantly above the benefit maximum in about 80% of the cases. So it varies significantly by age, which is not unexpected. And these results, again, are in line, not exactly the same ratios, but are in line with what we see for U.S. business of a similar type. So you mentioned mortality experience was also examined in this study. What did you find when you looked at mortality experience for Canadian segregated funds? For mortality, we had to decide first what was going to be the expected basis that we would measure against. The committee decided as a group that the expected basis should be different for contracts with and without the GWB benefit. So for contracts without the GWB benefit, we are using the Canadian Institute of Actuaries 97 to 2004 life insured mortality tables. We are assuming a 20%, 80% smoker, non-smoker makeup of the table. And we are looking at ultimate rates only. For GWB, we're using the Canadian insured payout mortality table 2014. And the reasoning behind that was that the committee felt that the GWB business was more likely than non-GMWB to be behaving like a, a payout uh, insured table. 
So when we looked at results, one of the things that we found was that the female actual to expecteds are higher than male actual to expected ratios, both on a count and an amount basis. The actual to expected ratios by count for females for non-GWB contracts are 88% as compared to males at 77%. On an amount basis, the non-GWB business, females have an A over E ratio of 110% versus 88% for males. And then if we look at GWB, on a count basis, the female actual to expected ratio is 94%. The male ratio is 89% on a count basis. The amount basis for females is 110% for GWB. And the corresponding male actual to expected is 96%. One of the interesting things that we found as we were doing the report is that the results for mortality actual to expected by amount and count are slightly different than what we've seen for other annuity mortality studies in the U.S., where we've seen the mortality by amount generally being lower at most ages than the mortality by count. And here we saw the amount was slightly higher than the mortality by count, and that that difference grew with age. It is one of the areas that we want to look into more. We want to collect more information to be able to do a more detailed analysis and see if we can dig a little bit deeper into what are some of the causes of that trend. And those were the main results from this first industry study. Thanks. So you mentioned next steps. Based on what you found in the study, are there clear next steps that you can see? What we've all agreed in general, all the, all the sort of stakeholders that were involved in the original study and all the work behind it, we've had some discussions and post-completion of the report. And what we would like to do is make sure that we don't lose the value of all the work that's been done. We've done a lot of documentation for each individual company of how to transform their data into what's needed for the industry study. And we have the processes in place from having put in all this work over the last two or three years. And we, we would really like to keep the value of that moving forward and continue to collect data and put out trending reports going forward. We're in the process right now of talking about how we can do that without having to burden the companies excessively with another round of analysis and reconciliation that will have to be done as we do each new study. So right now we're in the process of talking through what is the best timing for data submission and then what is the best timing for putting out reports. And they don't have to be in sync. We could have annual submissions of data and biannual production of reports. We could do them at the same time, meaning do both annually. But I think we're talking right now as a group about how we use the value of what we've done so far, along with what makes sense for putting out future reports. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to hearing more on this topic in the future. So thank you. Uh, thanks, Marianne, for taking the time today to share your thoughts and your insights with us. It was great having you. Thanks very much. If you'd like to learn more about this study or about any other CIA research project, visit the research section on the CIA website. Again, you can find published research by going to www.cia-ica.ca, navigating to the Research tab at the top, and selecting Research Projects. 
Under the Research tab on the website, you can also select Share Your Research Ideas. We definitely want to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions relating to CIA research, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. I'm Jill Harper, and thank you for listening to Seeing Beyond Risk.